Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate you leaving reviews on Apple for this podcast. We've had a number of reviews and appreciate that. I watch those. And if you like this podcast and haven't left a review and you feel inspired to, please leave a review. It helps other people connect with these amazing guests that bravely share, step forward and share their stories. And that's a good segue. Um, Our guest on today's podcast in my home here across the round table is my friend Bryson Lind. Welcome to the podcast, Bryson. Thank you. It's good to be here. Bryson is going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, That doesn't surprise you very much given the, the content of this episode. But as I listen to Bryson and has read his outline, every story is different. And I'm grateful for Bryson being willing to tell his story. And Everybody that steps forward and feel impressed to tell their story, they're kind of heroes to me for the courage it takes to share stories with listeners. And it's usually out of love. Um, Bryson's story is out of love. And I think his desire to share his story is to help reduce divisiveness and help better support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and bring us together and, and create Zion. And so um, if you're LGBTQ, our joint prayers, this podcast will help you. If you're an ally, a local leader, a friend, Bryson's insights will help you. Um, Just a little bio on Bryson. He is um, early 30s. He got a, he served a mission. Where'd you serve your mission? Uh, Vancouver, Canada. Speaking. English speaking. (laughs) English speaking. Um, I've always wanted to go there. I've been there once. Um, He, um. Made his way, and we'll, he may mention about that, got to BYU, got a bachelor's science degree in psychology in 2018. Um, tell our listeners one of your professors. Um, one of my great professors, she became my best friend and still is. One of them is Don Marie Wood. She teaches a lot of psychology classes in the psychology department. And she is terrific. And there are a lot of wonderful professors at BYU, and I've had the chance to present in her class and what great work she's doing and what a wonderful Latter-day Saint and human she is. After graduating in 2018, um, Bryson made his way to Regent U in, in Denver where he got a, tell us, a master's in mental health counseling. That's correct. And you got that in 2022. And then tell our listeners you came to Utah without going into much detail. Just tell our listeners where you work now because we'll get to that later. Yeah, I work at the Marriage and Family Clinic in Spanish Fork. It's just right across from the Carl's Jr. on Main. Um, and happy to be there. And um, Bryson has is doing most of his client work, clinical work, is working with LGBTQ people. So we will reference a link to this clinic. Often people reach out to me and are looking for a therapist. Um, and so Bryson would be a candidate for you to consider and we'll link to his um, clinic in the show notes, and we'll probably talk more about t- towards the end of the podcast. Um, Brian's act, Bryson's active in the church, and whenever I meet an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, I never like have him press a button in the middle of the table that says, you're going to be active forever. I don't do that with straight people <laughs> because it's not a, I hope I can say this the right way. I just recognize that it's a complicated road for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And not everyone that walks in my home knows their future. In saying that, Bryson's very committed to um, the gospel, wants to find a way to stay in the church, continue to participate in the church. And we'll share this story from the perspective of an active, believing Latter-day Saint. Is that okay the way I frame that up? Mm -hmm. Is that okay for an introduction? Great. Okay. Well, I will turn it over to you to talk 
to share where you want to start. I think you're going to talk about growing up. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm a BYU baby, so I was actually born in Provo. Um, we stayed in Linden with my grandparents for about a year before we moved back to Southern Idaho, which is where I grew up. I'm the oldest of six kids. Um, and like Nephi, um, I have been born of extremely good parents, um, and they have been so supportive and influential um, of me and to me throughout my life. Um, I grew up in a, t- a tiny uh, southern Idaho town, as Idaho towns typically tend to be, um, on a potato farm. I'm a stereotypical Idahoan, I guess you could say. Um, and I loved working with my dad. Um, growing up and I was on the tractor with him all the time. Um, and we were, we were just buddies, buddies, buddies. Um, and I love my mom too. She has been my best friend, um, and confident, confidant throughout my entire life. Um, kind of just to dive into my story a little bit, um, fast forward a couple of years, I was about five or six years old and my dad started coaching basketball. Um, and I loved going to games with him. I probably went to almost every single game with him. I'd ride on the bus with the team and, um, be at all the practices. I just loved being my dad's buddy. Um, but kind of as a part of that and, you know, different LGBTQ people have different experiences with this, but as I was kind of in those locker rooms with those, with those boys who were really good friends to me and great examples. I just noticed that I kind of started feeling a little bit different um, and developmentally speaking, um, I haven't hadn't, of course, sexually maturated yet. And so I didn't know what to call it. And it wasn't really a sexual attraction, but I noticed that kind of what I saw within that basketball team and the members of those teams is is just I liked what I saw Um, kind of different than. Um, I guess, women that I saw. Um, Anyway, fast forward a little bit more. Um, I have always just been, (laughs) it feels weird for me to say this, but just really kind um, and loving of people. And of course, I'm not perfect. My siblings will attest. Um, But I was, you know, a good student, probably top in my class um, for most of my life academically. And my teachers loved me. Um, probably not the most cool kid. You know, I, I was never a football star or basketball star, but always the kid that people wanted their kids to be friends with. Um, and I was happy to be friends with most people. Um, and so uh, it was an interesting thing to kind of grow up that way. Also just very religious, very churchy, I guess. Um, and I was kind of known for being the, the goody two shoes kid that just loved church and um, was on seminary council and, you know, president of every quorum that I've been in um, anyway. But growing up as I as I kind of matured a little bit more, I just had this kind of tension that started to build within me where I started to notice that my feelings for um, I guess romantic or uh, sexually attracted feelings were not the same as my peers. And that would be quite evident in locker room talk or whatever, um, where I would just kind of laugh and joke along. Um, but knowing that I didn't really feel the same way about girls as my peers did, uh, um, 
and would never kind of admit it out loud, but felt more that way towards my male peers that I was actually telling stories and talking to. Um, and that was really hard for me um, just because I felt like, you know, on the outside, I'm just this person that everybody wants to be friends with and is just kind of an example of goodness, I guess, in quotation marks in the community. Um, and on the inside, I just knew that something wasn't good in me um, where I felt like my attractions to- towards men were becoming more clear. And I knew that growing up in a small community that is probably more LDS than almost any other community in the world, about 98%, um, that being gay wasn't a good thing. Um, And, you know, that was only reinforced by, you know, slurs like using fags or whatever, whatever the word was. Um, I just knew that anybody who was that wasn't good. Um, not only in just kind of a, a country conservative area, but also religiously speaking too. Um, especially growing up with, you know, talks from general authorities that had talked about how um, we need to be careful uh, about these particular feelings and what we do with them. Um, and so really, you know, I, I, I didn't date a whole lot. I kind of went on the obligatory you know, school dance dates and stuff like that. And, and they were great because all of the dates that I went on were with friends that I had grown up with my entire life. And so it really wasn't too, um, onerous, onerous, but, um, it was still just kind of interesting just because people started pairing off girlfriends and boyfriends as high schoolers do. And my excuse was always just a little bit self-righteous, but also true. Um, but I used it as a shield to to protect myself from not having the same feelings and the same relationships is, you know, always I'm preparing to go on a mission. And so I don't date, um, other than school dance dates. And I'm not going to get into a relationship because, um, the relationship with the Lord comes first to me. Um, and that was just kind of my shield, uh, uh to kind of combat all the questions of, you know, you have anybody that you like or whatever, whatever. And of course, I didn't feel comfortable talking about that at the time. Um, eventually served a mission. It was called to the Vancouver, Canada mission and loved it so much. But before I went, I was just so nervous because I felt like even though I was doing all these really great things in the church, um, there's this piece of me that I had not addressed. and. It's the piece of me that was kind of, I felt like was monstrous and dark. Um, And so even kind of feeling like I shouldn't go on a mission, um, maybe for this reason, um, that I felt attracted to men. Um, I eventually decided to go anyway. Um, And it was kind of the perfect place for me to go. Vancouver, Vancouver is kind of like the San Francisco of Canada. Um, where there's a lot of LGBTQ people and I got to kind of interact with them all the time. And that was kind of a, a dissonant experience as well, where I was teaching them the gospel um, that I loved and that had given me so much, even up until this point um, as a young 18 to 20 year old, um, 19 to 21 year old at the time. But, um, but they would mention their experiences of, you know, 
I kind of like what you're saying, but I know that your church doesn't like people like me. Um, and that was hard to address because part of me was just like, you're right. Um, you're, the lifestyle that you're living is, is wrong and needs to be fixed. Um, and the feelings that you have are wrong and will eventually be fixed, whatever that looks like. Um, but kind of deep down feeling not good about that message that I was teaching or the, the belief that I had about gay people, because I knew that that was me too. And if, um, the message that I was teaching, um, was true about these people, then it was also true about me. Um, and so that was a good, but also a tricky kind of situation for me to be in. Um, being amongst really the gay capital of Canada. Um, loved my mission. Um, had so many good experiences. It strengthened my testimony even more. I had a testimony before I left left on my mission. Um, have always just kind of had the gift of belief, um, which I know not everybody has, but that's been kind of a blessing and a curse to me <laughs> in some aspects. Um, but it only reinforced my love for God and I love my love for um, the plan and that he has for us and my family. Um, and I wanted to share that. Um, I was terrified of coming home though, because I knew that eventually what was not so serious in high school would become much more serious after I got home or I was um, advised by my mission president in my exit interview that you need to get an education and you need to have a family. Um, and I knew that that entailed going on dates that I was terrified of going on. Um, in addition to this too, before I left, I, I kind of made, and I've heard this from a lot of LGBTQ people that serve missions. I'm not sure where it comes from. Um, but I had bartered with God that if I would be the most obedient, best missionary that I could possibly be, that maybe he would take these feelings from me. Um, and so coming home was a little bit bittersweet because those feelings never went away. Um, and my kind of perfectionist in me, which is pretty strong, um, was always wondering, you know, you've been obedient, but have you been perfectly obedient? Which is pretty, um, it's a pretty impossible standard. And so when I came home, I felt like, I had gained so much and strengthened my testimony so much, but had also come away a failure because I hadn't done it perfectly. Um, and the evidence of that was that my feelings wouldn't, weren't going away, um, but perhaps, perhaps were even getting stronger after my mission. So um, I went to BYU-Idaho for a semester before my mission, and then I returned to BYU-Idaho after my mission. I loved it there. My the first semester when I came home, I felt a little differently about it. I roomed with a, a actually my follow-up trainer on my mission who didn't love BYU-Idaho to begin with, so I don't think that helped. But I also felt like just kind of all of the little nitpicky rules were kind of babysitter-ish, um, and I didn't like that as a mature missionary that had returned home, uh, serving a faithful mission. It's just like, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go, go to hell if I wear sandals or shorts, but, um, anyway, um, but 
Yeah, had a hard time at BYU for multiple reasons. Um, um, I felt like people, a lot of the time, really kind of on the outside lived a really great church-centered life. But um, with a lot of the conversations I had with them, it was more really about the letter of the law than the, the spirit of the law. And so I just didn't really feel like I, I fit in that well there because the spirit of the law, that's just kind of what I am. I'm obedient for sure, but I just love people. And I think that's what it, the gospel is ultimately about. Um, and all the little nitpicky rules didn't really help with that. Um, I also had a few ecclesiastical leaders that were really tricky too. I had a stake president who um, announced in church in a at the end of a state conference that, and it was kind of out of nowhere. It was a little bit strange to me, but um, mentioned that anybody who really supported Elder Ellen DeGeneres was to come to his office to speak about their ecclesiastical endorsement, um, which didn't make me feel good because I knew exactly what that meant is even if you had the inkling of supporting LGBTQ people, um, then you were somehow unacceptable, let alone being an LGBTQ person. Um, I also had a bishop and he was actually the first person I came out to um, just because I was really struggling um, at BYU-Idaho. I was going on a lot of dates, actually, I probably went on hundreds between BYU and my next university that I would go to, and none of them stuck. None of them worked out, um, and I felt like I was just broken and things weren't getting better. Um, I actually, I don't think, I think I've only been on a second date once or twice, um, and went to the bishop to talk about this, and I was just getting so depressed. And um, came out to him and I said, you know, I don't know what this means for me. Um, and I know that it's not good. Um, and he just kind of mentioned, you know, ever since you've gotten to this ward, I've felt, you know, this dark presence in my, in my congregation and in you. Um, and I came to him just in the worst possible place you could be. And left feeling even worse. Um, he's mentioned, you know, I don't want you to talk about this with anybody besides me. We're going to work on this. We're going to send you to an addiction recovery program. Um, and we're going to get this worked out. But that really um, soured my, my experience at BYU-Idaho even more. Um, Summer, summer break came and um, I worked on the farm and my dad woke me up one morning where I didn't have to be up at 5, 5 a.m. And um, I was pretty ticked at him <laughs> because he woke me up on Saturday and he said, we're going to go look for schools. I think he knew that I just wasn't doing very well. And I said, well, I already go to a school, but thanks. He's just like, we're going to go look anyway. So we went to look at Utah State. And we went to look at BYU. We went to look at UVU and I was pretty, pretty stuck up and arrogant in my, I guess, BYU ways where it's just like, well, I'm definitely not going to be UVU or USU because that's, those are places where only people who aren't smart enough to get into BYU go. Um, and which I, 
I have repented of my ways since then. Um, they're both great schools. Um, felt so at home at Utah State, though, and decided to go there. Um, and they were just so welcoming and loving. Um, and I, I loved it even more there just because members of the church that go to Utah State, um, they don't require an, uh, an ecclesiastical endorsement to go to, go to the school because it's a public school. And I found that members there um, were active in the church just because they wanted to be. Um, and that was true of most people at BYU too, but not everyone. Um, and I, I loved my experience at Utah State. It's such a good school. I was actually a dual major in mechanical engineering and pre-law because I wanted to be a patent attorney. Um, but my mental health got worse and worse. and it eventually got to the point where I became very suicidal um, and felt like I wasn't going to get better and that maybe it would be better for me to return home early. Um, and luckily and unluckily, I had been called to be the executive secretary of my, my bishopric um, in that ward that I was in. And after my experience at BYU-Idaho, I kind of promised myself that I would never tell anybody ever again about being gay. Um, but this bishop had ambitious goals of meeting with every single one of his members every single month. And there was 300 members. Wow. Um, and so I basically lived at the church doing my calculus homework and whatever else so that he could you know, do his interviews. And he had a job too. I don't know how he did it. We were just there all the time. But as a result of that, um, I got to know the ward so well. But more importantly, I got to know him and how trustworthy he was as a bishop. And when I finally got to the point, um, I had made a plan um, where I was going to jump from a popular canyon um, in the Logan Canyon, a, a popular place in the Logan Canyon. Um, and one of the great things about being the executive secretary is you can schedule yourself in. <laughs> um, and so I did, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, which is his last appointment time, which is just crazy. Um, and he kind of, you know, smiled at me and said, you know, what's up in his good natured manner. And I said, you know, I'm not doing well. And. Um, depending on how this goes, will determine whether you see me tomorrow or not. Um, which I kind of feel bad about. That's a lot of pressure. Um, but we, we spent about three hours talking and, um, about, you know, what I was going through and how I just felt like I wasn't a good person despite all of my efforts to be a good person. Um, and this is why, because of my attractions and I had been dating and it wasn't working out and just felt like there was no way out because I wasn't changing no matter what I tried. Um, and he was just the perfect person um, that I needed in that moment. And he said, I don't know hardly anything about this, but I do know you. And I know that this ward needs you and I need you. 
and your family needs you. Um, and that you're one of the most faithful pe- people that I know. And so I don't know what, where you're going to go with your life, but I want to be there with you on that journey. And I want to learn more. And um, I want to work this out, whatever that looks like. And um, it was just so good to hear that after telling him this deepest and dark secret of mine, that he loved me. Um, he did say that he couldn't leave me and this is good, good of him, but also tricky um, without me telling someone, um, my parents in particular, and I did not want to come out to my parents. Um, my mom was my best friend and there were some really difficult things happening in my family then that were stressing her out. And I didn't know that I could tell my dad because um, I didn't know if he would understand. Um, but he said, well, I kind of need you to, I know it's a tricky thing, but I can't leave you the way that you are, um, in this kind of bad mental space without knowing that somebody knows besides me. And so I eventually decided to tell my dad, you know, maybe he'd understand more cause he's a, he's a guy. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to stress out my mom and I told him and, um, let's, he reacted, I think, the best way that he knew how was, you know, come home. Let's work this out. We love you. We want you to be here. Let's get you better and see if we can fix this. <laughs> um, and I said, okay, that's fine. I, but I didn't want to leave just because I felt like I needed to continue my education because getting an education as quickly as possible, especially if you've been on a mission, of course, is a race. <laughs> um, but he's, I eventually went home um, about six weeks later when the, the, um, when the semester finished and eventually got therapy. I ended up with family services in um, a, a town called Twin Falls. And that was the best thing that I could have done um, at that point in my life. Um, and that therapist kind of helped me see that. I wasn't this bad person and that this thing that's a part of my life is probably here to stay, but also not necessarily evil, um, not necessarily a bad thing. And I really learned to love myself a lot more um, in that year that I eventually spent away from school um, and had a really great bishop too, um, who was my neighbor and um, one of my best friend's dads. And he eventually became one of my best friends too, and just supported me throughout that entire experience. He had a gay son himself um, who had decided to step away from the church. And I think he was really interested in seeing me succeed, whatever that looked like. Um, eventually spent the year kind of healing up. Um, and I was praying one night and I, I'm just always asking, you know, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? It's planning on going back to Utah State to finish my, my dual major degrees um, and then eventually going to law school. And it was very clear. Um, and he, it was kind of like words in my head. And he said, you've learned what you needed to learn at Utah State. And you met the people that, that I needed you to meet. Um, and I need you to go to BYU 
and I need you to change your major from um, mechanical engineering and pre-law to uh, psychology, which was a huge change. Um, he's just like, I need you to use your experiences to help many other people. Um, I was really upset about the first part of that answer. <laughs> I had become a Utah State Aggie and hated BYU <laughs> and had had not a great experience at BYU-Idaho, so I wasn't looking forward to that. But I decided to do it. I was worried about applying because um, one of the questions that's asked, um, at least it was asked while I was applying, was what is the hardest thing that you've gone through in your life? And on our, our school tour, the guide said, whatever you do, do not mention your mission because every person and their dog has been on a mission in BYU. Um, and I said, well, there's really only one other thing that I can talk about then. And I'm really worried about talking about that, applying to a church school. Um, and so I talked about my experience of um, being a gay member of the church and told my parents and they said, you know, if they don't accept you, then it's not the place you need to go. Um, which was a little bit hard because told, God told me that I needed to go there. <laughs> um, got my accept, acceptance letter the week after, which never happens. Um, it was really quick and everything kind of fell into place where I, I had this perfect roommate um, that I had grown up with in, in the town that I grew up in. Um, and just my ward is the best ward still to this day that I've ever been in. Um, just so supportive and everybody felt like family rather than little cliques that separate, um, into their different, um, I guess, interests, um, created a really great a relationship with my Bishop there as well and met some amazing people. Um, Don Marie was one of those people. I eventually became, um, her head te uh, teacher's assistant in psychology of gender. Um, and that was such a good experience. And I got to tell my story to, you know, hundreds of students. Um, and through her kind of relationship, too, I was eventually called to what we called the working group, um, which was kind of a desire of present worthens to create this maybe organization that would support LGBTQ people better on campus. Um, and. I worked on that for about two years and met a lot of amazing people like Charlie Bird and Ben Shalati, and we all just kind of worked together in addition to so many wonderful administrators and faculty at BYU. Um, and we had several forums where thousands of people attended, and it was just great. Um, it was a good time. Um, BYU was also really hard for me, too, though. Um, like BYU-Idaho, <laughs> BYU is kind of... It's kind of like the arc where people travel two by two. Um, and people would always ask me and my family and my friendships whenever I'd go home, if I was dating anyone. I wasn't, you know, really out to many people then. Um, I became I came I came out to more and more people as as time progressed, but um I just always make the joke that I, you know, had had a date with my books um to to finish my degree. But um was really hard to be in um, a place where everybody got to date and everybody got to talk about how exciting that was. And luckily, my bishop had made um, had been very sensitive and made the effort to 
make sure that all of the discussions and topics that were talked about in sacrament meeting and Sunday school were primarily about the Savior rather than, you know, marrying people off. And I really appreciated that. And I told him that I appreciated that. Um, just because people know <laughs> that that's what they're supposed to be doing, in particular LGBTQ people, where they don't know what to do with that part of their lives other than don't do it or hope that maybe you find a one in a million girl or a one in a million boy that you can make things work out with. Um, so that was really hard and really lonely, but I got to be a part of so many amazing experiences and amazing work. Um, our efforts didn't end up really pr producing a group that was on campus. Um, when President Monson died, um, the group was actually kind of told to be disbanded um, by the new presidency. But I think it eventually led to um, the Office of Inclusion being added on campus, um, which is a, a powerful, good place and a, a good organization for BYU to have on their campus for, for people who feel like they don't maybe fit in, whether that's LGBTQ people or um, maybe you're not predominantly a white person in a predominantly white um, community. I, I think that's great. Um, I eventually graduated um, and worked for a year. Um, and then I moved to Denver. And Denver was probably one of the hardest but best experiences for me in my life, where it was hard for me because my politics didn't really match up with the community and it didn't really match up with the school and the program that I was in. Um, so I, it, it felt hard to make friends, but it also felt hard because I was part of a YSA branch and not very many YSA people were active. Um, and so I probably served within the last three years of being there in every single calling that you can possibly have in a branch other than Relief Society president. Um, and it, it kind of burned me out a little bit where I just got so tired. Um, that was the time during COVID as well. And of course, COVID was very stressful for most people, I think. Um, and it was just hard for me to be in a place where I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family. I didn't have any friends that I knew. Um, and to come to a place where I felt like I had to support the branch a lot more than the branch would support me. Um, and so, but one of the great things that happened, um, was again, I created this great relationship with my branch president and particularly his wife who taught Institute. Um, and it eventually came to the point where he would invite me, they would invite me over to have lunch with them, you know, once or twice, three or four times a month. Um, and we would talk about things and we would talk about my experiences and where we, where I was at. And they were very interested in my perspective, and they were very interested in not prescribing what is good for me um, within my own my kind of relationship, very um, non-judgmental as well. Um, kind of throughout this experience, throughout the last really 10 years of my life, though, even though I was intensely active in the church, um, kind of zealously so, because that's really the the place where I made meeting in my life. Um, my relationship with God really suffered. Um, and I don't think it used to be this way when I was a kid. Um, used to 
love saying my prayers um, when I was a little kid and just excited to talk to Heavenly Father. Um, but over the years, I kind of became very upset with God um, just because of this situation that he had put me in where, you know, I grew up in this church that wanted me to be alone for the rest of my life or marry someone that I didn't want to marry. Um, and so I chose to be alone just because dating wasn't working out. Um, and I didn't feel like I could really honestly be somebody that could be a husband that a wife deserved. And I know that that's their decision for any, anybody that goes into that type of relationship. Um, but that's kind of how I felt at the time. And I also felt like it wasn't fair to me um, to not have the things that I wanted from a relationship as well. You know, I wanted to love every single part of my, my companion, not just most of them. Um, and anyway, so I eventually developed this relationship where God was this person who, and I, I mentioned this before, but I, I can't say this anymore because I, after studying the Old Testament this last year, I love the Old Testament and I see the love of God in the Old Testament too. But I think the best way to s explain God and my relationship with him is that I believe that he was the Old Testament God who didn't care how much pain um, his children had to go through just as long as they did what he wanted them to do. And I felt like that was true in my own life where he was forcing me to be alone. He was forcing me to um, live, live a life where I would never have kids. I would never have grandkids to come visit me. Um, I would never have a family of my own um, to be, be with me um, when maybe my spouse passed or maybe my parents or siblings passed away. Um, and instead, um, just be part of a community where really your primary purpose is to contribute to everybody else's salvation. Um, and hopefully that the plan would um, take care of itself after death. Um, but you'd have to wait that long in, for, in order for it to work out. Um, and that kind of sounded like a crappy end of the, of the stick, <laughs> really. Um, I've gained so much from my service in the church and, of course, serving has um, created me into a different person, um, a, a person more full of goodness and more full of energy to serve. But it also um, kind of awakened some bitterness where, you know, I felt like I belonged to this community that really I cont contribu con contributed my entire soul to, um, but it would never really give that much back to me. Um, and the only thing that it would really give back was, you know, warnings about people like me and um, or making me feel like maybe they're projects that they should be worked on. Or, you know, if they had left the church, then they're not good people and they'll never be happy. And um, we, had, we would always hope that we'd, they would come back. but. Not because maybe we actually love them, but because that's just kind of the gospel agenda, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, not great. Um, made me really mad at God. Um, but eventually got to the point where I didn't want to leave the church just because the church was so important to me. But I also felt like it was just not good for me. 
Um, like I needed something more from the church rather than it just constantly asking from me to give and give and give and give. Um, and it eventually got to the point where I was sitting down with my branch president and his wife, and we were having a conversation about um, what I wanted to do because I was very honest with them. And it was just such a blessing that I had these angels sent to me where I could be honest completely with them, even in a way that maybe I felt like it couldn't be honest, even with my parents. Um, and we were sitting in lunch, um, the branch president's wife and I, and it just came to me um, as we were having this conversation that it was just very clear that God was speaking to me the person that you think I am isn't the person that I actually am. And I know you. I know your spirit more than you do. And I know that you will stay even though you feel like our relationship isn't good. But it's not good not because I I don't love you and it's not good because um, it's really not good because you don't know me the way that I want you to know me. Um, And I think it, you know, people bag on anger quite a bit and uh, for sure anger can be so destructive. Um, But I felt like I needed to get to a place where I was angry enough that I would either choose him or choose something else. Um, and eventually I did choose him again and I wanted to know him better. And I, I re-engaged more faithfully and, um, really kind of studying about who he is in the scriptures and asking people how they felt about who he was. Um, and it was a really revelatory experience too, where I I feel like the, the floodgates have kind of opened where instead of thinking I knew exactly who he was and who he wasn't. Um, I allowed him to teach me. Um, There's this kind of humility process where I had to get to the point where it's just like, you know what? Lots of things that church culture says about God aren't true. And if that's not true, then maybe what is true about him? And so I let him teach me rather than thinking I knew who he was already. And as part of that process, um, just felt so much peace um, and felt like I had kind of restored the father that I always should have had, but didn't have because I wasn't letting him love me the way that he wanted to. Um, and, you know, he's been there the entire time just waiting for me to be ready um, to accept that love and to be patient with me. And I'm so grateful that he is. Um, a really tricky part of that kind of process was, was um, I love you and I want you to be happy and I want to support you. And I want you to know that things are going to work out no matter what, because I know what I'm doing and I didn't send you to fail. Um, I sent you to succeed. And because you 
are so interested in doing what I want um, that there's always going to be a place in my home for, for you. And there's always going to be a place where even if you do the thing, things that maybe I don't want you to do, there's always going to be room to, to restore. Um, there's always going to be a place where you can come to and say, guess what? Life isn't working out very well. Or maybe this isn't what I had in mind for you, but I want to work with you in order to get there. Um, and as part of that message, he said, I don't want you to be alone. <laughs> um, and I didn't really know what that meant, but um, the more that I thought about it and the more that I had read about other people's stories, the more I, I felt at peace with um, wanting to start people that I was actually attracted to. Maybe, maybe I wasn't just this, um, this mortal hoop. My, my, my attractions weren't this mortal hoop that I'd have to jump through in order to prove my faithfulness to him. That maybe there was more, more to it than that. Um, we believe in a gospel that is uh, not a gospel, but um, a kingdom that is continually being restored. We talk about the restoration sometimes as if the restoration is over and it's not. And I think we feel like we understand so many things about the gospel and about the doctrine. Um, and although we, I think, understand enough um, to progress and to grow, um, even the things I think we we have. We believe we have firm knowledge about. We have so much more to know. Um, and I don't know where that puts me um, in, the, in the grand eternal scheme of things. And, and maybe, maybe this decision isn't exactly what he wants from me. And I believe that he'll let me know that as I kind of go through this with him. Where um, as I just start, start to date, um, that he'll be there with me in my journey enough to say, you know, this isn't exactly what I want for me, for you, or maybe this is, is exactly what I want for you. Just keep going with it. Um, I think building that relationship with him is so important. And I think it's even more important than building faith in a particular doctrine or a particular principle, being Having a testimony and a relationship with the lawgiver, I think, is more important than having a testimony and a relationship with the law. Because as our understanding of the law changes, um, as principles um, change, as church policies change, if we have a testimony in our Father, um, then it doesn't really what happens in the kind of minutia of what things, um, how things work out doctrinally or principally or as far as church policy goes, um, our faith is rooted in Christ and our faith is, is, is rooted in our Father in heaven. Um, and that's kind of where I'm finding myself right now. Um, but co- that decision comes with a lot of real fears and concerns as well. Um, I want to be as active and faithful in the church as the church will let me. But right now, there's a lot of limitations on that. And I feel like with this particular um, decision, it may come to the point where I lose a lot of the privileges that I've been able to, to kind of experience in the church that give me meaning, like being able to go to the temple or giving blessings to my nieces and nephews. Um, just all of those little things that you kind of take for granted 
um, at any moment could could be taken from me. And I'm still kind of working that out. I feel a little bit of bitterness there um, for kind of wanting the same things that all of a lot of my other brothers and sisters get to have and are even celebrated for having. Um, but if I want the same things, then um, all of my privileges in the church can be taken from me. Um, but I want to create a world where we can respect each other's decisions and we can respect each other's journeys and love each other regardless of whether we might agree with those or not, um, rather than prescribing that we know best for our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. Um, I think it's better. I know this is kind of just trite and maybe a little bit Disney, but I, I think it's, it's better to be found loving somebody um, at where, with where they're at, whether you agree with their decisions and choices or not, rather than making judgments. Um, we're asked to make, not make judgments for a reason. We don't know those particular people's stories. We don't know their limitations and strengths like the Savior does. Um, and I think it's just our job to do what the Savior has asked us to do, is love one another as I have loved you. Um, anyway, I'm afraid too that, you know, if I have a partner, a companion, and even if I have children too, you know, how will my ch children be treated if I bring them to Sunday school or if I bring them to nursery or primary? Um, what kind of questions am I going to have to ask, you know, when they have a lesson about the plan of salvation? How come my family doesn't look that way? There's just so many things that are stressful and I'm nervous about. In addition to finding anyone in, in, in general anyway, I mean, I feel like probably over 90% of people who are LGBTQ in the church leave the church. Um, and most of those people become very embittered towards the church. And I understand why I'm not faulting them or blaming them, but um, finding somebody who wants to be a part of the church that maybe feels like they don't have a place for you. Um, is more difficult than <laughs> than anyway it's, it's just difficult it's like finding a needle in a haystack so that's just kind of where i'm at that's my story kind of up until this point i took a lot of notes listeners i wish i could express to you bryson the feelings of a lot of our listeners that took a lot of notes and brought to tears and want to reach out through however they're listening, and give you a big hug. Mm. There's a lot of un, unneeded pain in your story. And I think one of the gifts you're giving is to help us um, do better. I wrote down some of these. Here's what I wrote down, listeners, and I want you to continue to talk. I, You were alone for a long time on this road, um, processing this alone. And I just, I'm, I grieve for your younger self, and you may do too. You, you were used the words to describe you monstrous and dark. <laughs> you wouldn't describe yourself that way, and you wouldn't want anybody to feel that way, but it's logical how you felt that way. Yeah. You were perfectly obedient. And then somehow coming home from Vancouver, the dots didn't connect, and you were still gay. And so, of course, you had let God down and you weren't perfectly obedient. And that cycling, um, 
your courage to come out to that bishop and then that's a a really difficult thing to be told you're the dark president in my congregation presence in my congregation. I don't know how you survive that. And then to have the courage to come out again to your bishop in Utah State. And if Bishop, if you're li- listening to this, I don't know how many lives you saved in your ministry, but to take an appointment at 11 p.m. and be there for multiple hours. But I love, I wrote down some of that. He said, I want to be with you on your journey. And he didn't pretend to have all the answers on what you said. And that's an absolutely beautiful ministering moment that came naturally to him, even though he didn't know all the right things to say. Um, I love all your service during the time. I love then your branch president and his wife you call her angels and that you could be completely honest with them. Our own kids, I know they can't be completely honest with me. It's just sometimes the nature of a parent-kid relationship. But I know I love it when there's trusted adults in our kids' lives, often church leaders, where they can be completely honest. And it you have to be really... So if you're listening, branch president, and your good wife in the Denver area, thank you for all the lives you blessed. And to be called angels, I think, is one of the greatest compliments. But to create a safety that one of your YSAs can be completely honest and you could just listen to them. Um, I love you taught as much about Heavenly Father as anybody that's been on the podcast. And having to sort of deconstruct and reconstruct that relationship. And I think this is the line you said, but will you? The person you think I am isn't the person I am. Yeah. And I, that's a really, really powerful statement. And I recognize we create um, feelings about Heavenly Father from the Old Testament, from our own Father, from our priesthood leaders, from adults in our lives, political leaders. General as authorities. We're, <laughs> as we're growing up, you know, men that have an influence in our life, often then we because we never met Heavenly Father, we, we think that's the way Heavenly Father is. And he says, I don't, and I love this line where he says, I don't really care if this is painful, just follow me. And, and then to get where you are with Heavenly Father is a gift. One of the things, listeners, I've recognized, I don't know if this is factual, but sometimes straight people don't have to do this kind of hard relationship work with Heavenly Father and the gospel, and because it all clicks. And not to say they don't have a great relationship with Heavenly Father, but sometimes my guests that have had to work so hard um, receive unique, wonderful personal revelation to help navigate and insights that are helpful to me and all of our listeners. So that, that scales to listeners that need to understand that that's how their Heavenly Father feels. And I almost think sometimes, listeners, I, I love our Savior. Um, and I love his role as our elder brother and our judge and the atonement and what he did for us. But I recognize our relationship is really with Heavenly Father. That's who we pray to. <laughs> and that's who we should have our primary person relationship with is Heavenly Father, know that we have heavenly parents there and love us. And we've got this wonderful Savior walking with us and taking pain out of our lives and healing us, both sin-related pain and the pain of some of the experiences you've had. 
and good therapists that can help us. <laughs> so this is there's so many beautiful parts of the story. Um, but you've also given a gift to closeted people that may feel they're monstrous and dark. Um, and no one should feel that way. So, listeners, those are some of the things. And then I just, Bryson, I think you would have been a great mechanical engineer. <laughs> Actually, my impression is you would have been just great in that career. But where you are, and you're, you're taking your lived experience plus your clinical work and your education work, and I realize you're just 30, you're going to bless so many lives. And I use this quote a lot. <laughs> Listeners have heard this. It's the wounded healer, a minister service. And I'm going to broaden this to be a therapist service. <laughs> um, and the, it will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to the, think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. But I think you're doing this already. I think you did it at BYU. I bet you did it on your mission, even in a different way, because of your your spiritual gifts that I think are in chapter six of Preach My Gospel. Um, but I I am so hopeful for your future and where you've the work you've done to get you where you are now. You're not 50. Yeah. And you're not 60. You're 30. And that still feels old compared to when you were 20. <laughs> Um, you might, you don't, I don't see any gray hair, but it's getting uh, gray. <laughs> it's, it happens at that age sometimes, but I just feel like your whole life is possible now because of the work you've done to get yourself here and you're your personal best. So you mentioned dating men. I think it's, if you're going to do that, I think you're doing that as a position of faith versus fear. I think you're in your personal best to consider that road and to just trust yourself that I, this is where I feel I need to go right now. I'm taking God with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this out of anger at God. I'm not doing this out of fear. I'm not doing this out of rebellion. I'm just doing this because it feels like the right thing for me to do it this time, but I don't quite know where it will lead. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky too, just because it's a place too, where it's something that you've been taught your whole life you shouldn't do. And whenever I go to God about it, I feel peace. But there's so many other voices that are telling me not to. I, I mean, it's a tricky place to feel like you're in this place where you're not sure if you're doing the right thing. Um, I mean, Elder Renlund just gave a talk on how personal revelation should always match the uh, revelations from um, the leadership of the church. Um, and so... When it doesn't, and you feel like it's right, um, you're always just wondering, you know, am I just doing this because I feel like it will make me happier? Or am I doing it because this is actually what God wants for me? And how come, how come my revelation isn't really matching up with leaders of the church who are called to be leaders of the church? Um, and that's a completely, entirely different discussion, discussion altogether. But it is a tricky place to be. Um, yeah. And the way I handle that, listeners, I, you know, I always invite people to follow church teachings, but I'll let you self-determine. That's a therapist's word. A therapist taught me. I'll let you self-determine your best path forward and I'll walk with you. Yeah. Just like a couple of your leaders have said, and I'm going to leave 
all this judging to the Savior's feet. And I, I don't think, and I just don't, and if you're a parent of an LGBTQ kid that separates themselves from the church, not to say that's what you'll end up doing, but I think you just do what a lot of the parents on the podcast have done is they leave it at the Savior's feet. They don't worry about what this looks like, their eternal family. They may worry at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just say, I'm going to leave this to the Savior's feet and their Heavenly Father's kid first. And I, as a Latter-day Saint, maybe have more of a foundation to be at peace with this because of my understanding of the plan of salvation mm-hmm. and my insights into God and Christ. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about your work now um, at the clinic or just any more you want to share. We've got time for like 10 more minutes. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually just kind of started. Um, and so I am taking clients. Um, I just wanted to kind of reinforce that this is just, this is my story. Um, it's not anybody else's. And if you enter into mixed orientation marriage, or if you want to stay faithful to the gospel as a celibate person. I have so many friends in both of those categories who have good and fulfilling lives. Um, In addition, you know, some of you may feel like it's the only healthy way out for your, for your mental health to take a break from your religion and take a break from the church. Um, And I honor that decision too, and I understand where that comes from. And I've met many people who have made that decision in their own lives that have ironically discovered God more fully in their life. Um, I don't know where their story goes just as much as I don't know where mine is going, but um, everybody's story is different. And I think God interacts with us very uniquely, and that's okay. And for anybody that you know is may may be seeking psychological services or mental health services, um, that's something that I really try to respect um, from a clinic uh, a clinician client point of view. Where it's just like it's it's never my right um, to prescribe what you should do with your life. Just because my life looks a certain way doesn't mean that your life should work that should look exactly the same way as well. Um, but yeah, as a clinician, um, I find that there are a lot of people who serve the LGBTQ community um, within mental health services, and a lot of them do it just admirably. Um, but I do find, too, just because it's so um, such a charged issue um, that a lot of people who serve LGBTQ people um, either find themselves on one side or the other where they're either very hostile towards religion, and that translates into therapy um, as much as we wouldn't like it to. It does. Um, or maybe sometimes we give too many of the church answers. And I'm not saying that those answers don't work, where, you know, reading your scriptures and praying and going to church and serving, all of those things are absolutely good things that are healthy for us. But I don't think there's enough nuance in those types of answers. Um, to serve um, people that find themselves in this situation experiencing what they're experiencing. Um, And so I'd like to think that I'm one of those, I guess, people in a unique, um, that has a unique perspective on wanting to really kind of respect both pieces of the whole person, Um, sexual orientation, sexuality, sexual identity, 
um, is a really important part of ourselves that sometimes I think we minimize a little bit in the church and how important that is. Um, and I, you know, I meet a lot of people who say, well, you know, why, why is it such a big part of your life? Why is it such a big deal? Um, and it's just like, well, we could have an entire long conversation about that, but making kind of maybe a more medical physical analogy. Um, if there's a gaping hole in your, in your stomach, you probably are going to pay attention to that quite a bit, um, until it's sutured up or fixed. Right. Um, when there's a hole in your kind of your spirituality and your spiritual identity, it's very similar where it's just like, this is something that you think about a lot just because it interacts with really every part of your life. And, and there are more pieces to me, many more, many more parts of me that are important that are not about my sexuality, but it is an important piece of ourselves. And so, uh, finding a way to find peace in your life really, um, with God is my primary goal. Um, as a therapist, um, coming from this particular background and perspective, no matter what that looks like. And, you know, there will be those who decide that they don't believe in God anymore or don't believe in religion anymore. And I respect that too. But, um, because I guess my relationship got with God and my religion is so important to me. I know there are a lot of people out there who also feel the same way. And I'd love to be not somebody with all the answers, but somebody that can walk through that journey with them um, and be a person where they feel like they can open up, they can feel share everything. Um, and in many ways, I, I will understand what they're going through in a way that a lot of people can't. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of my intent and purpose is to create, I guess, wholeness and health in somebody. Um, and hopefully in a way that preserves the relationship with God. What you've just, you know, the, the clinic that's just open in Spanish fork and your focus is so needed right now. I get more requests for therapists than any other inbound requests, perhaps maybe not. I get a lot of inbound requests to be on the podcast, which is good. But I don't always, I mean, I have a group that I send them to, but I always wonder after I send them there, do they have time? Mm-hmm. Um, I I just sense the qualified people in the space versus demand is a huge mismatch. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the way you frame up your um, approach as a therapist to this space, I, I really agree with. And you, one of the, you said so many thoughtful things in there. Yeah, I have a personal story. But it doesn't mean as a therapist that I project that on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, do no harm. My son's a therapist. Is one of our models is do no harm. And you mentioned you're politically, you mentioned you where you are politically. You don't want to give up that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these parts of you that come to your role as a therapist. And I like the way you just own all those parts of you. It doesn't sound like you changed your politics. Right. Because <laughs> you went to Colorado. Yep. And... I'm glad you didn't. Um, we need people on the whole political spectrum as Latter-day Saints. Um, but I love the way you recognize people want to figure out their faith and figure out their sexual orientation and make that work. And 
I love. I can just imagine some of these vi- visits where you're just laying down principles and asking questions so that they can they can self determine their best path forward without mm-hmm. prescribing it for them. I think that's a better approach. I think they own it better, um, and I think it helps them make the right decision for them if they've come into that conclusion for themselves. And some of those principles apply to us as parents. We're not therapists. For us as local leaders, we're generally not therapists, although sometimes we have that training. But I think a lot of those principles apply. Um, I love your insight into BYU. It gives me hope. I recognize that BYU can be difficult, but there's a lot of wonderful people there, including you. you You're not there anymore that have done and continue to do so much work. So my eyes in the intersection of LGBTQ and LDS often looks at BYU and what they're doing and then how whatever they're doing potentially be scaled. I love how you framed up a YSA ward. My wife and I, she used to go to release society and said, it's better to be single. It's better to be not married and wish you were married than married and wish you were single. And she was sort of teaching there is the focus on the YSA ward ought to be coming into Christ mm-hmm. and um, not getting married. And we figured the YSAs knew um, about marriage, but we just didn't want to make it the culture of our ward. Yeah. Not necessarily, we weren't smart enough to do that for gay people. It wasn't until later we realized there were some gay people. We just wanted to create a culture. So I love that mm-hmm. about YSA wards. And yeah, I think people naturally get married and we celebrate those, but there are going to be people that just, it reminds them they don't fit in or broken. Yeah. Um, I love this idea. I use this on the podcast that. A, a celibate LGBT person can't be the hero today and the villain tomorrow if they choose a different path. Mm-hmm. We have to not sort of villainize people that choose a path that's outside the teachings of our church. We just, or anybody, you know, 99% of Heavenly Father's children aren't in the teachings of our church. Yep. Um, he doesn't seem to be villainizing them. He seems to be at some way in his grand view of the plan of salvation is comfortable with 99% of his children not being in our church. So maybe we should be comfortable too. It's harder. I think we see someone in step away and we rejoice when someone joins. Um, But I just think we have to step back and say, we're just going to love like you've taught and leave all this to the savior's feet. So anyway, I wrote, that's kind of the final notes I wrote down. I can't read my last note. Um, any, that's all I have listeners, but I like to just have Bryson, anything else that's come to mind? Um, I think we've been through this before, um, but just really emphasizing that I think it's important as disciples of Christ and if we're going to uphold our baptismal covenant to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. Um, I think people probably already know what you think (laughs) about them and their experiences. Um, And if they invite you to share more, I think, of course, share more. Um, I'm always wanting to hear more about people's stories, both LGBTQ stories and none. Um, I think that's our obligation as brothers and sisters trying to make it back home together. But I think that's the point too. 
is we need each other. Um, and I think Christ was really interested in people and is really interested in people. Um, and we get to hear about that interest and about his ministry on the earth. And I think the best way to minister to people um, who might be like me, or maybe you are LGBTQ and you disagree with other LGBTQ people, <laughs> whatever decisions they're making, um, I think it's important for us to be open and have a true desire to know what somebody is going through. and. That's really the only way that we can minister is by getting to know each other and respecting where each other is at. Um, should you feel prompted to say something by the Spirit um, to help them? Um, great. Um, but in general, I think listening is better. Uh, thank you, Bryson. I'm so glad you reached out. On behalf of all our listeners, we're really moved by your podcast, your great heart, your insights. We mourn that there's not a better path for you. I wouldn't want to um, dismiss the complexities of that. As I came out of BYU with my wife, um, that was just a beautiful experience for me. And BYU was intense. Yeah, it is. Um, but then to have something that, the reason you talk about it is it prevents you from having the path that I had mm -hmm. and the path your straight friends have. And you want that same path, but you can't, you're, it's outside of your control to make it happen for you. And then if you do choose to find a, a, a husband, mm -hmm. you'd love to participate in the church, but you're even saying I'll participate as much as I can. Um, and I just, I, the complexity of that are very difficult. And here I'm talking after I said I wouldn't. And it makes me sad. I go along my morning walk and I'm really sad. Um, this is a very complex space with a lot of pain. Um, but you're very brave to step forward and share your story so we do better. Um, there's a really good episode we did. If you're a parent and you're kind of connecting this podcast for the first time and you've got an LGBTQ kid, and, and episode 581, Char Alstrom, she raised six kids, um, and two of her sons are gay, and they both are in long-term relationships with men. And she's active in the church, but she's just been on this road for a long time. and. I thought she did a terrific job, and I'm not saying that's your path, Bryson, mm -hmm. um, but she just did a terrific job of talking about how she's, how she's navigated this and how she's kept her family circle intact and is left at the Savior's feet and went through the stages that parents might go through, fear and pain and, and then at peace and the role of the atonement to get her to peace, and she's in a really good spot. Um, and has a great relationship with everybody in her family. So um, we'll link in the show notes to Bryson Lund um, Clinic in Spanish Fork. And Bryson Lind, I called him Lund. It's Lind, L-I-N-D. Lund's a good last name, too. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to keep him at Lind. We're not going to change his last name. So Bryson Lind and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.